Lesson 3 for October 12 to 18, God's Call, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, October 12. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called each of us, and as we study in the Scriptures today, your call about Ezra and Nehemiah and what you ask them to do, we pray that we may also find what you want each of us to do in our service for you. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Ezra chapter 7 and verse 27. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Let's read that again. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 27. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart, to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Does God call each person to a specific task? Are there criteria that make someone more qualified than others for a certain task? Are those criteria different in human eyes than in God's? Most of us would probably say yes, especially to the last two questions. There are times when God prepares us through education or experiences for a specific task. At other times, he chooses us to serve simply because we are willing and humble. It's not always easy to know, though, what God's call is in our lives, is it? Nevertheless, the Bible is full of stories of people whom God chose for a particular assignment. Interestingly, Ezra and Nehemiah were called for a specific task by God, to rebuild what lay in ruins. However, rebuilding in this case involved various tasks. They were to lead the people of Israel back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple and the city. At the same time, they were to teach the people about God and, above all, guide them back to a committed relationship with Him. Talk about a calling from God, and an important one too. Sunday, October 13, The Calling of Ezra and Nehemiah We could say that Ezra was chosen for various reasons. 1. He was willing to go. 2. He was a leader. and 3. He was a skilled scribe and teacher. There are additional reasons that we could find as well, but there is one verse that perhaps most demonstrates why Ezra was given this task. Question. What does Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 say about Ezra? How might Ezra have prepared or set his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it? Ezra 7 verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. The word for prepared or set is kun, K-U-N, in Hebrew. The word can be translated as prepared, set, be firm, to firmly establish, be stable, or secure. Therefore, the true meaning of this statement seems to mean that Ezra firmly set his heart or established his heart to seek God. After arriving in Jerusalem, Ezra modelled what it means to be dedicated to God, and he taught God's word in Jerusalem for 13 years. It may have seemed to him that he wasn't making any difference during those 13 years. But then, after the walls were completed, the people called an assembly, not because anyone forced them, but because they wanted to do it. The word of God that they had been hearing from Ezra had taken root. Question, why was Nehemiah chosen? Read Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Nehemiah 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. 
It came to pass in the month of Chislev in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there, and will bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah had a heart for God and the people. He was troubled when he found out that the work in Jerusalem had stopped. Nehemiah had a passion for the cause, and just like Ezra, he volunteered for the job. God answered their prayers and desires. Sometimes we get the idea that if we love something, it must not be from God, because God will give us only difficult things that we might not want to do. But If we are walking with God, the desire to do something we love are often God-given. God wants us to have a passion for what we do for Him. And so to finish today, in what ways have you experienced the reality that God called you to do for Him things that you love? Monday, October 14, Prophetic Timing In the first lesson of this quarter, we studied how God called Zerubbabel in 538 BC and Ezra in 457 BC to special ministries. In the second lesson, we considered God's call for Nehemiah in 444 BC. We need to realize that these callings were performed in harmony with God's foreknowledge. For example, Zerubbabel was moved by God to do a specific task in response to the end of the 70 years of captivity that Jeremiah had prophesied. Question. In what year was Ezra called to ministry? It was the same year in which King Artaxerxes issued a decree. How is that year significant in prophecy? Look up Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27. Daniel 9, beginning at verse 24, Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. 
Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself." And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, and till the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Daniel 9.25 states that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The last week of this prophecy is mentioned in verse 27. Since one week contains seven days, a prophetic week equals seven years, as we read in Numbers 14, verse 34, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. And Ezekiel, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, For I have laid on you the years of their iniquity, according to the number of the days, three hundred and ninety days. So you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when you have completed them, lie again on your right side. Then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have laid it on you a day for each year. Therefore, this prophecy talks about 70 weeks, which equals 490 years. The question that must be answered is, what is the starting date of the 70-week prophecy? The text states that it will be from the time that the decree is given to restore and build Jerusalem. There were a total of three decrees given regarding the restoration of the Jewish people. Cyrus, Darius and Artaxerxes all gave commands for restoration. However, only the one from Artaxerxes includes concern for the city of Jerusalem itself and only this decree is associated with praising God for his intervention, as we have just read in Ezra chapter 7, verses 27 and 28. We count the beginning of the 70-week prophecy from the year 457 BC, the seventh year of King Artaxerxes 1, as mentioned in Ezra 7, verses 7 to 26. Ezra 7, beginning at verse 7. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the Nethermim, came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest, the scribe, expert in the words of commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace, and so forth. I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you, and whereas you are to carry the silver and gold which the king and his councils have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem." And whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in all the province of Babylon, along with the freewill offering of the people and the priests, are to be freely offered for the house of their God in Jerusalem. Now, therefore, 
be careful to buy with this money bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and offer them on the altar of the house of your God in Jerusalem. And whatever seems good to you and your brethren to do with the rest of the silver and gold, do it according to the will of your God. Also, the articles that you are given to you for the service of the house of your God, deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay for it from the king's treasury. And I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river, that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently. Up to one hundred talents of silver, one hundred cores of wheat, one hundred baths of wine, one hundred baths of oil, and salt without prescribed limit." Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Also we inform you that it shall not be lawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, Nethinim, or servants of this house of God." And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who will judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and teach those who do not know them. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. Additionally, because the year 457 BC also is the start of the 2300-day prophecy of Daniel 8.14, we'll look at this in tomorrow's lesson study, this decree serves as a starting point for these two prophecies. The 70 weeks end with year AD 34, which is when the preaching of the gospel was enlarged and also went to the Gentiles, marked by the persecution of the early church and the martyrdom of Stephen. The middle of the last week would be the year AD 31, which is when Jesus died on the cross. So to finish the day, review the prophecy of Daniel 9, 24-27. How does it reveal with amazing accuracy the ministry of Jesus? How should a prophecy like this firmly establish your faith? Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 and 27. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Tuesday, October 15, the 70 weeks and the 2,300 days. The word determined found in Daniel 9.24, 70 weeks are determined, 
literally means 70 weeks are cut off, although the word translated as determined is not used anywhere else in the Bible. It is found in Jewish literature and it means cutting off from something longer. Since Daniel 8 presents the 2,300-year prophecy, whose starting point is not given in Daniel 8, it logically follows that when the next chapter, Daniel 9, talks about 490 years as determined or cut off, they can be cut off only from the 2,300 prophetic years mentioned in the previous chapter. After all, what else could this period be cut off from but another and longer time prophecy. Question, read Daniel chapter 8. What was the one part of the vision given that was not explained? Daniel 8, beginning at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and it so happened, while I was looking that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there, standing beside the river, was a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward and southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And, as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west, across the surface of the whole earth, without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand." Therefore the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land." And it grew up in the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Then it happened, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning, that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now, as he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and stood me upright. And he said, Look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation, for at the appointed time the end shall be. 
the ram which you saw having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia, and the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power he shall destroy fearfully, and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. And the vision of the evenings and mornings which were told is true. Therefore seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future." And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. There are many reasons the 70-week prophecy of Daniel 9, 24-27 and the 2,300 evenings and morning prophecy of Daniel eight fourteen belong together. 1. Both are time prophecies. 2. The specific terminology of vision and understanding links them, as we see in Daniel 8, verses 26 and 27. And the vision of the evenings and mornings which was told is true. Therefore seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. And Daniel 9.23, At the beginning of your supplications the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. 3. Both interpretations of the prophecies were given by Gabriel, as we read in Daniel 8 verse 16, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And in Daniel 9, 21, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. 4. The only part of the vision not explained in Daniel 8 was the vision about the 2,300 evenings and mornings, sometimes translated as days, in Daniel 8.14. 5. Daniel 8 contains the vision and then a partial interpretation of it, while Daniel 9 has an interpretation only, in this case the interpretation of the only part of Daniel 8 not interpreted, which was the 2300-day prophecy of Daniel 8.14, the one part of the vision that Daniel had not understood. As we read in Daniel 8.27, And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. The information given to us in Ezra fills in the missing pieces of the prophecy's prediction in the book of Daniel, namely, when to begin historically to count the prophetic time regarding crucial aspects of Christ's ministry and work on our behalf. And then there is a chart. It shows the 70 weeks, 490 years, from 457 BC to AD 34. And that becomes the first part of the 2,300 days or years prophecy, from 457 BC to AD 34, and then another 1,810 years to 1844.
Wednesday, October 16. God's Election There's a lot of talk about God's electing us or choosing us to do something. Many have different ideas on what that election means. What does the Bible say about our election? Question, read Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. What does God call us to do? What does he choose us for? Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This passage specifically states that God predestined humans to be conformed to the image of his Son. It is not saying that God predestines us either to be saved or to be condemned, and that we have no choice in the matter. In other words, the election is for the purpose of our transformation. We are to be changed to reflect the Son of God. This transformation is then promised in the following verses, in chapter 8 and verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. In which Paul, the author, states that those whom God calls, he also justifies, makes us righteous, and glorifies, sanctifies. Thus, we are not left to transform ourselves, but rather, God promises to accomplish this transformation by his power. Question, read Romans chapter 9. What kind of election or call of God is described in this chapter. Romans chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to her, The older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated." What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power to you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing form say to him who formed it? Why have you made me like this? 
Does not the potter have power over the clay, from the same lump to make one vessel for honour, and another for dishonour? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with such long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who were not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And, as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabaoth had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offence, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. In Romans chapter 9, Paul discusses God's election to a specific task. The Israelites were chosen to bring the good news about God to the world. The phrase, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, in 9 verse 13, is commonly misunderstood to mean that God loved only one of the brothers. However, in the context of this passage, Paul is saying that Jacob was chosen, but Esau was not. What was Jacob chosen for? to be the father of the Israelite nation. Thus, there are two types of election or choosing that God does. First, God chooses every single one of us for salvation and wants us to be transformed into the image of Jesus. Second, God chooses different people for specific tasks. And so to finish today... Why should it be encouraging to know that you were predestined for salvation? Why does that not, however, mean that your choices cannot cause you to lose the salvation that God offers? Thursday, October 17. Our Responsibility If we are called by God, we still have free choice in accepting or rejecting that call, just as we have free choice in accepting or rejecting the salvation that He offers us all. He may place us in a particular position, but we can choose not to follow His biddings. Yes, he wants us to do specific things for Him, just as much as He calls us to become like Him. God's election to a specific task is part of His plan for our salvation. By doing what He calls us to do, we reveal in our lives the reality of the salvation He has given us. King Saul was given the position of king. Unfortunately, Saul never fully gave his heart to God, despite the task he was given. Just because someone is called by God to do something special for him doesn't mean that this person will embrace God. Our free will remains the determining factor, and if we don't follow God's leading, we can lose everything. Question, read Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. What does this teach us about what happens when the Lord calls someone 
for a task. Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I, that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together, and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you, and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please... Let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in its midst, and after that he will let you go and I will give this people favour in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be, when you go, that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbour, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. And chapter 4. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, 
cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again, and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please, send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt, and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart, so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. And it came to pass on the way, at the encampment, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then he said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Our response can be like that of Ezra and Nehemiah's who went without questioning or 
We can be like Moses, who had objections and excuses. Moses went in the end, but not without trying to get out of it. He objected, claiming that he was not good enough, a nobody, and didn't have an important position. So how could Pharaoh possibly listen to him? He also was worried that the Jewish people would not believe him or listen to him, and the work would be for naught. Additionally, he complained that he was not qualified. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue, chapter 4, verse 10, and didn't have the needed skills. Last, he pointedly asked God to send someone else. And yet, as we read the story of Moses, we learn what a powerful, though flawed leader, Moses became. He was someone who faithfully did the task that the Lord had called him to do. And so to finish today, what excuses do we often find that keep us from doing the things we know the Lord would have us do? Friday, October 18. From the book Desire of Ages, page 234, we read, The time of Christ's coming, his anointing by the Holy Spirit, his death, and the giving of the gospel to the Gentiles were definitely pointed out. It was the privilege of the Jewish people to understand these prophecies and to recognize their fulfillment in the mission of Jesus. Christ urged upon his disciples the importance of prophetic study. Referring to the prophecy given to Daniel in regard to this time, he said, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Matthew 24:15. After his resurrection, he explained to the disciples in All the Prophets the things concerning himself. Luke 24:27. The Saviour had spoken through all the prophets. The Spirit of Christ, which was in them, testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. 1 Peter 1 verse 11, end of quote. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, dwell more on this idea of God's calling you to do something that you love to do. What are some principles you could follow to know that you are doing God's will, not just in the case of something you love to do, but in general? 2. Read the story of Jonah and how he responded to God's calling in his life. What lessons can we take from his experience? At the same time, contrast what Jonah did to what Paul did when he was called by the Lord. What were some of the major differences between them? And we'll read about Paul in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, What do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. 
So the Lord said to him, Arise, and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So, when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. And question 3, from the book Desire of Ages, page 716, we read, The history of Judas presents the sad ending of a life that might have been honoured of God. Had Judas died before his last journey to Jerusalem, he would have been regarded as a man worthy of a place among the twelve, and one who would be greatly missed. End of quote. Think about the story of Judas Iscariot. Was his calling to betray Jesus? If so, how fair would that be to him? How can we understand Judas and the opportunities he had in contrast to what he eventually ended up doing? What lessons can we take away from his story about the power of free choice in our lives? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Japanese Pastor Finds $30,000 It's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission A large water bill shocked Japanese church leaders in Tokyo. Astonished that the bill had doubled from the previous month, leaders of the Amanuma Seventh-day Adventist Church contacted the water company and soon learned that an underground pipe had burst and was spewing water. The water pipe could not be repaired, and the water company advised the church to install an above-ground water pipe. The cost? 7 million yen, or about US $70,000. Moreover, church leaders faced another major expense. They needed to raise 16 million yen, that's US $160,000, to purchase equipment so their church could be one of 161 sites across Japan participating in the 2018 evangelistic meetings. Complicating matters, church members weren't enthusiastic about the evangelistic meetings, complaining that the expense and work were too much. It was very stressful, said Koyochi Miyazaki, the first elder of the Amanuma Church. The church board met to pray about the water pipe. Immediately after the prayer, the church's associate pastor, Mayunghun Ra, went to his office on the desk, he found three million yen. That's 30,000 US dollars in cash. Ra, a missionary from South Korea, was thrilled, and he excitedly broke the news to the other church board members. The next Sabbath, he announced the need for the water pipe to the congregation. He told how the three million yen had appeared in his office, and he appealed for more contributions. A short time later, a surprise appeared in the Sabbath school offering plate, an envelope containing one million yen, that's 10,000 US dollars. 
Church leaders were delighted, but they worried that perhaps the giver hadn't fully understood his or her actions. In the moments after the offering was collected and counted, they determined that the money had been given by a first-time visitor, and they pulled him aside. Did you really intend to give this much money? they asked her. I had a dream last night, she said. In the dream, someone told me to make a donation to a Christian church. I'm not a Christian, and I don't know any Christian churches. So I looked for a Christian church, and I found you. She insisted that the church keep the one million yen. After that Sabbath, the woman was never seen again. The church also never learned the source of the three million yen donation. Through such miracles, the church managed to raise the funds for the new water pipe and for the equipment for the evangelistic meetings. Ra said the miraculous donations and baptisms have helped change the atmosphere of the Amanuma Church, the largest Adventist church in Japan with 900 members. People were negative, but now they are enthusiastic, said Ra, whose picture appears left here. They know God is alive. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. It is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department, and through the services of Christian Services for the Blind. A video of this podcast also occurs on YouTube. Remember, God is always faithful.